go into a city that's set on a hill. Its ruler and maker is the Lord God above. Oh, I'm going to a city and it's set on a hill. And someday I'll be in heaven and there'll be no sorrow there. Oh, I'm going to a city. It lies four square. The gates are made of jasper and I'll see Hello, everybody. God bless you today. This is Susan Puzio, and I want to welcome you to the Prophetic News radio program. And we are moving our program over to Spreaker, and that's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. And uh, we'll be on Blog Talk Radio for a few more months, but then we will be moving over to Spreaker on a full-time basis, so you can catch our program there. We're also on iTunes, and so you can find the programs at those places. I'm sure some of you use iTunes and you use some of the other ways to get the program, and so those Things are available for you. Also, we have our book on Amazon, Paula White, President Trump's pastor, and Seed Faith, Can a Man Bribe God? Those two books are available on Amazon. Also, we have our YouTube channel under my name, Susan Puzio, and Greedy Preachers TV. And I'm, I'm going to talk, we're going to talk with Ron Roby again today. And I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the money that comes into some of these television ministries. It's outrageous. Yikes. But the gimmicks work, I guess, and the, the trinkets that they hand out, obviously, when you when you see the the kind of money that's coming in, it's amazing, really. But you we you don't want to compromise, especially in the area of finances. It's it's always better to trust the Lord, and uh, not to be a beggar. As the Bible says, uh, "I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their." seed begging for bread. And so I'll mention a couple of these. The number one network that was mentioned here, and this was published on Ministry Watch. If you want to take a look at it, ministrywatch.com, Warren Cole Smith. And number one here is the Christian Broadcasting Network Network. 391 million. <laughs> it's, it's hard to believe, isn't it? Now, I've never heard of this organization, but it's a, a radio. K-Love A1 Radio, and it's Bill Reeves. 217 million. Wow. Joyce Meyer. $112 million. Focus on the family, $100 million. 
In Touch Ministries, Charles Stan- Stanley, $97 million. Trinity Broadcasting, $81 million. Turning Point, David Jeremiah, $69 million. Eternal Word, That's uh, I think that's the Catholic station, EWTN, $64 million. James Robinson, $59 million. Wow. Our Daily Bread Ministries, Matthew Lucas, $51 million. Lutheran Hour, $45 million. David Cirillo, $41 million. So you, you can see David Cirillo. It, it, it's, a, it's kind of a strange network they have because they play old westerns and things like that, and then they have those... Late at night, especially, you can see him repeating telethons that he probably did 10 or 20 years ago. And they just keep repeating the same old telethons over and over again. Yet it brings in the money, $41 million. John MacArthur, $37 million. They had Ravi Zacharias on here, of course, before his scandal. But his ministry was taking in $36 million. Oh, my word. Amazing Facts. That's a Seventh-day Adventist program. Doug Batchelor, $35 million. Through the Bible Network, $30 million. Sid Roth, $29 million. Oh, my word. How does that happen? I don't know. <laughs> oh, dear. I can't even imagine. Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll, $19 million. Truth for Life, Alistair Begg, $17 million. Tony, Tony Evans, $16 million. Family Life Communications, Evan Carlson, $12 million. Precept Ministries, David Arthur. I guess that, that's probably Kay Arthur. I don't know if she's still alive because it's under David Arthur. $11 million. Christianity Today International, $10 million. It is written... John Bradshaw, $9 million. Atlantic Gateway Communications, Kevin Kruger, $7 million. John Ankerberg, $7 million. And I'll read a couple more here. It's amazing, isn't it? People complain about they don't get enough money, but yikes. If you add all this up, it has to be billions. Gateway Broadcasting, Joy FM, $7 million. God TV, $6 million. Voice of Prophecy, $5 million. Love Worth Finding, $5 million. Jack Van Ippie, even though Jack is dead, 
Roxella does the program now. They're taking in $5 million. Cornerstone Television, $5 million. Back to the Bible, $4 million. Coral Ridge Ministries. That was D. James Kennedy. Of course, he's not alive anymore. Almost $5 million. Hal Lindsey, $4.5 million. So that's some of the money that some of these ministries take in. Of course, it's very, very lucrative to be on television. It's very expensive also to, to be on television, but very, very lucrative. Very lucrative. So that's some of the money that, that comes into some of these ministries. So you know that some of them that teach tithing, they're not going to stop teaching tithing or seed sowing because it, it's been very lucrative for them. And uh, you can also see that Probably most people don't ask the Lord about who they should give their money to. They're not praying about it. They just see a television ministry that they like or they're, if they're making an appeal, which many of them do on a regular basis, that, that's when people decide to give. But I, I, I think I like, it, I like it the other way where people pray and they ask God that if they like a ministry and they want to, to contribute that they ask the Lord about it. I think that's probably one of the best ways to keep down on the corruption and the greed that you see also. And then I think a lot of people also wouldn't uh, go to the manipulative technique, the manipulative techniques that they use to get people to give money. There's uh, the ministries do need money to operate, and of course, the more that a ministry does, if they have feeding programs or they have homeless shelters or they have an orphanage that they're supporting, and of course, if you're attending a church where there's a building, and uh, the staff need salaries, and they need to keep up the building, and those type of things. But it's usually a, in uh, local churches, you, you usually have a hierarchy where the pastor is probably the person that lives the best out of anyone because he's collecting 10%. So he's not teaching you how to live by faith, he, they, they tell you that you have to live by faith, and I, I've been watching this Kenneth Copeland convention this week. He's been having his Believers convention in Fort Worth there, and uh, which he's had every year. I think he said it's been like 30 or 40 years that they've had this convention, and He's got Jerry Savelle and he's got Jesse Duplantis, and Creflo Dollar did show up, amazingly enough, at this conference, which I didn't know if they would have him on the bill because they all teach tithing, required monetary tithing for New Testament believers, and Creflo Dollar is not teaching that at the present. So 
They talk about prosperity. They talk about having faith, but they don't practice what they preach. <laughs> they tell you that they got everything that they got by believing God and by, oh, I gave 10 airplanes away, but you know how I got my first airplane? I sowed seeds, and so then God just keep, get, keep giving me airplanes, and then I was able to give away airplanes. But, but I heard that they gave one ministry, they wanted to give one ministry an airplane, but the, the ministry didn't have enough money really to keep it, to operate. It's very expensive to have an airplane. You have to have a pilot if you can't fly it. You have to have a place to keep it. You have to maintain it. So just because somebody wants to give you an airplane, <laughs> you better have some big bucks <laughs> to be able to keep it. So anyway, there was a few interesting things that came out during this conference for the, the times that I was listening. And I think Kenneth Copeland said he was 82 or 86 can't remember exactly which one it was, but anyway, he's he's old, he's up there, and uh, he said he seems to still be able to think straight. Uh, there's probably a couple of times where he couldn't get his thought together, but for his age, he was doing pretty good. But he admitted that he had to get a pacemaker, and. So I thought, wow, that's that's an interesting thing because usually, I think Kenneth Copeland usually says that he's never been sick. Now that was that was an interesting revelation. He didn't he didn't have to say that. I don't know why he was telling his secrets, but he was. And uh, then he he mentioned that Gloria was having memory problems. So she didn't even show up at the conference. He he said that she was going to come, and then she's she's been having these memory problems, and so she decided not to come. Now, some people might say, "Well, yeah, look at that. They're sick, and they taught that you can't get sick." and God always heals you. And look, they made all those faith confessions and they're sick themselves. Well, I don't I, I don't believe in making fun of sick people. I really I don't care what they taught or what they did when somebody's sick. It's it's sad for the family, it's hard on a family. And so uh, I guess also they realized the Copelands that all their faith confessions and everything that they say that Jesus has to heal you if you say this and you, you have to watch your words and don't say that. And yet he confessed himself that he had heart trouble and he had to have a pacemaker and that Gloria's been having memory problems. So it seemed like he was making a bad confession, right? But when you get sick or, or any of us that have had any kind of sicknesses, we realize that we can't heal ourselves. The doctors can only do so much for you. 
But if God doesn't heal you, and I believe in healing, I believe Jesus is a healer, and, and I've known people that were healed. And, but you might not get, get it the way you think you're supposed to get it in this life. You might die of the disease, which that doesn't mean that you, you don't love the Lord or that uh, you made a bad confession. or That's life. Things happen in life beyond our control. We don't understand everything. And in Word of Faith, if somebody died sick, oh, when, uh, when one of our friends would die or somebody well-known would die, we would say, oh, wow, well, how did that happen? They must have made a bad confession. And, and uh, oh, they didn't have enough faith to get healed. And it was terrible, really, to even say things like that or even to believe things like that because... It wasn't the person's fault that they died just because they made a bad confession or they didn't have enough faith in God. We believed that heaven was a real place and you could go there, but if you died in the faith movement, people weren't really happy that you went to heaven because they were complaining, how did that person die with the cancer and how did that person die with the heart disease? <laughs> It, it was cruel, really. It really was to uh, even think like that. So I don't, um, even where the Copelands are concerned, I'm sure that they realize themselves, and Kenneth realizes himself, that all the confessions, he can make every kind of confession he wants. And, of course, God is able to heal Gloria, but she might not get it the way he thinks that she's supposed to get it with his confession and, and his faith. But she's already in the condition where she can't show up at the meeting. She can't go out in public. And next week I'll play the tape. I, I, didn't, I don't have it this week, but of what he said. And he said something like, Gloria said, well, if somebody interviews me, I might not remember the question, and I'll be embarrassed. So even if somebody said something to her, she, after a minute, she wouldn't remember what it was. So sometimes when these things happen to these Word of Faith people, sometimes they do repent for uh, their false teachings because they they can develop some compassion for other people that go through devastating illnesses with their, with their loved ones. And they realize, not all the time, but sometimes they realize that God is in control of your life. You're not in control of your life. And they like to teach, Word of Faith likes to teach you that you're in control by your words and your confession and your faith. And, and, uh, but, God is in control of our lives. And he can choose to totally heal us of our sicknesses and our diseases, or he can take us home. And nobody likes to see their loved ones pass away. Nobody enjoys it. But we know 
if they're believers, we know where they're going. So we can rejoice in that fact that we're going to see them again. And that gives us hope. And, and uh, it kind of helps to lighten the blow of losing someone. So that's what came out of that uh, Southwest Believers Convention, which they had uh, a pretty good crowd. They have four or 5,000 people there. And it's like a week-long event. Three, three, three speakers or four speakers or five speakers a day. So very interesting. But they had also had Phil Driscoll there, and he, he said he was in the hospital with COVID, and they were going to put him on a ventilator, and uh, he wouldn't let them do that. But they told him he was going to die if he didn't take it, and he, he said he wasn't going to take it. But anyway, he's alive, and, and he's... He seemed to be recovered. So you wonder you wonder what goes through these people's heads when they're they believe one thing and, and then they're there at this convention with their friends and their friends are saying, Oh, I have I was in the hospital for eight days with this coronavirus and Oh, I had to get a pacemaker for my heart, and oh, my wife is getting dementia. So you you wonder what goes through their minds when they're confronted with the reality of life, that life doesn't always go the way you confess. And no matter what happens in our life, we still have faith in God. We still believe in the goodness of God in the promises of God, and we go on. But anyway, let me play this scripture from Haggai before I bring on my guest today. Came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes, in comparison of it, as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. In the four-and-twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priests answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, 
If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priests answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days were, when one came to an heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat, for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail in all the labors of your hands. Yet ye turned not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four-and-twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. And again the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four-and-twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen and amen. So we are bringing our guest on, Ron yeah. Roby. Hi, Ron. Hi, Susan. How are you? Good. We're back again talking about one of our favorite topics, tithing, and we're going to play some audios from Joseph Prince, A.R. Bernard, and John Hagee. <laughs> These three really have some strange beliefs when it comes to tithing, and I'm sure we'll we'll address those beliefs uh, here on the show today. <laughs> yeah, strange fire for sure. <laughs> All right, let's play Hagee. Let's play uh, John Hagee. Here he goes. God wants you to adjust your thinking to the fact that the promises of prosperity in the Bible apply to you. Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. Who gets it? You. As lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and thieves in the John Hagee Amplified Version and the IRS can't carry it all. The day is going to come when all you're going to have is what you've given to God. I see some of you on Sunday morning when the plan comes by, hold on to a dollar bill like it's a life raft and you let it go, your oxygen is going to go off. My God, there it One dollar. That's the only dollar you're ever going to get back. It's going to be crumpled, I guarantee you, but you're going to get it back. You're going to be wearing a plastic crown in heaven from, golf, from Walmart. Walmart. God has created a universe where it's impossible to receive without giving. Think about it. And you see a t-shirt you like and you give the lady 500 bucks and you get to carry it home. You have to give to receive. You go to the store and you buy $200 worth of groceries. You throw it in the bag and put it in the glove compartment of your Toyota. If you receive without giving, it's shoplifting. 
Many Christians are shoplifters at Cornerstone Church on a regular basis. The law of God is give and it shall be given unto you. If God gives to you without you giving to him, God would have to break his law. Your giving controls your income. Give and it shall be given. <laughs> so what did you make controls of that, Ron? Oh, here we go. The sun well, gives light. The stars give guidance. The ground gives food. God gave his son. He gave his life. The 12 disciples gave their life. Abraham laid his son on an altar ready to sacrifice him to prove his loyalty to God. God made him the father of all who believe. His name is revered across the earth until this very moment. The fact is when it's offering time, you're making the decision about your financial future. Okay, that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, there, there's so much wrong with that particular clip there. Uh, for the first, the first off, right off the bat, he used Luke six thirty eight uh, as a uh, proof text that we're supposed to give our money in the church. And Luke six thirty eight is not about giving money at all. The context of Luke six thirty eight is giving mercy and and forgiveness to others. It has nothing to do with money. Now, it's true that uh, the Bible tells us that we should give to other people, and we, if people are in need of money and we have it, we, we can afford it, then we should give to them. I don't dispute that at all. Uh, but that's not what Jesus was saying in Luke 36, 38. He should have used another verse. Yeah. Uh, second, second thing that he said wrong was, you know, if you're receiving in the health of God, but you're not giving, you're shoplifting. Well, wait a minute. What what about those that cannot afford to give? And what about the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter uh, 10, verses 7 and 8, where he said, freely you have received, freely give. And, he, and Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, and Jesus was clearly speaking about uh, uh, giving the gospel because he said, as you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils freely. You have received freely give. So these things are supposed to be given to people freely. And John Hagee seems to have the mindset that if he has to be paid in order to preach to you. Yeah. You know, and that is not, that's not what the gospel is about. And that's not of God at all. Uh, he's actually working against Jesus when he, when he's, uh, claiming that, uh, we're supposed to give in order to get, yes. uh, John, uh, even the apostle Paul. Now the apostle Paul were in first Corinthians nine, the apostle Paul spoke of, uh, uh, of, uh, uh, they that preach the gospel must live of the gospel. And in that passage, a lot of people like to use that for tithing. But if you read the entire passage in context, the Apostle Paul is speaking about the rights of an apostle to be fed and lodged uh, during his missionary uh, visits with the lost. Yeah. Uh, it really has it has nothing to do with tithing whatsoever. It's not giving to get. Uh, and so it's really sad that he has to do that. Yeah, well, he lives high on the hog over there with his mansions and his jets, and so uh, he loves that tithe money more than he loves God, right. obviously. 
Exactly. Yeah. And he beats people over the head, makes them feel like they're thieves, they're shoplifters. And, and, and if you don't give money, then your financial future is in jeopardy that when the plate comes around, you better put some money in there. And it's ridiculous. Right. Anyway, I, right. I, I don't like all that plate passing. Uh, it, it's intimidating to... Uh, have that plan exactly exactly and the apostle paul didn't even have that mindset that uh john hagee's got you know in the same chapter of uh first uh, corinthians 9 the apostle paul said i've not used any of these because i don't want the gospel to be hindered uh you know so that tells me that you know it's not really a necessity that that uh, uh apostles uh at that time, uh, were even fed and and helped by the people if the apostles were able to work to support themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I mean, uh, it, it's wrong to use the scripture to uh, to try to manipulate people into giving. If people have a heart to give, they'll give. But you don't have to manipulate the people. That's the whole thing. I and that's my whole argument against what John's saying. And you know, the fact that he's saying, you know, you're a shoplifter. That's just totally bogus. <laughs> well, it's insulting, too. You go, you go to church and you have somebody beating you over the head like that, calling you a shoplifter, and basically cursing you if you don't do what he says and what he tells you to do. And, uh, and the people were applauding when he said that. Right. That's a, uh, that's a cult mentality, really. You're going to obey me. You're going to do what I say. I'm not, gonna, I'm not preaching to you for free. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to tell you about faith, but I'm not going to have any myself. So really, if if a church wants to take up an offering, it's better to put something in the back and let people go when they want to, but pass in a plate and then you feel intimidated because everybody's looking at you, the people that are around you, if you're not putting anything in, you feel that way. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we shouldn't feel, we should be able to go to church and be edified and not having some guys, some multimillionaire guys standing up there intimidating us. Exactly, and that's basically what they're trying to do. They're trying to, the, uh, what it is is he's running damage control, really, and, and most of the preachers today uh, uh, or that teach tithing are doing damage control uh, after the uh, uh, three consecutive sermons by Creflo Dollar uh, just a little while back where Creflo told people that uh, tithing is not for the church anymore. Uh, you know, Creflo told us in one in his second uh, message, the great manipulation uh, part two, he he said, you say you're a tither. You say I'm a tither. I'm a tither. Well, pat yourself on the back. And, and then he goes on to say, uh, you haven't even come in. You haven't even received freedom yet. Yeah. Uh, in other words, if you're if you're if you're a tither, you're still bound bound to the law. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want to let go of that. And so, yeah, they're all doing that. These were, this, he preached this sermon after the Creflo thing. So, yeah, they're all trying to do damage control. And uh, I'm going to play this guy, A.R. Bernard. Now, here's a man that supposedly has all these degrees, uh, these theological degrees and whatever, but he's, he's biblically ignorant. Here's A.R. Bernard. Back to where it's first mentioned. 
So the tithe is first mentioned in the Bible in Genesis chapter 14 with Abram. Y'all heard of Abraham? How many got that far in the Bible? Thank you. Glad you're reading. See, your job is to read the Bible through in a year and then repeat it every year. So when you come here and I make reference, you know what I'm talking about. Got it? So, the first place we find the word tithe, T-I-T-H-E, which means tenth, is with Abram, Abraham. I'm going to say Abraham, okay? In Genesis chapter 14. And just write it down because I want to keep moving. I've got 60 minutes of material in three minutes. Chapter 14, verse 17 and 20. So Abraham is returning from a successful military campaign. He's the victor. He won. And in those days, all right, the military campaigns had a practice. Whatever the spoils of war were, a percentage of that was offered to their deity, their God, through the temple in honor of the king or the leader. Did you hear that? So in that text, remember, audience and context. So the context is war, a victorious military battle, and Abraham wins. So he comes back, and he meets someone named Melchizedek, who is identified as the priest of the Most High God, the priest of Yahweh. Melchizedek comes to Abraham with bread and wine. Does that sound familiar? Communion Sunday, folks. It is the belief that this Melchizedek is what is called a Christophany on appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament, offering communion which is covenant. Because remember, what did God do with Abraham? He made a covenant with Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. So Abraham wins the war, and Abraham is conscious that his victory is because God was with him. Got it? So he receives communion, but then he pays tithes. In other words, he takes a tenth of all that he brought back as a result of his victory, and he offers it to his God, Yahweh. Are you with me? That's the context. Audience, I'm pointing to the board, Pataxlip, audience. The question is not how we understand this today. The question is how did they understand it back in the ancient world? We can't superimpose modern thinking on what took place thousands of years ago. The audience of that was the ancient world. So the question is, how did they understand it? Not how do you understand it? How do I understand it in 2022? How did they understand it? I'm glad you asked. They understood it as a custom practice by all military within every society. In other words, the Babylonians practiced it, the Phoenicians practiced it, the Sumerians practiced it, the Grecians practiced it, those from Mesopotamia practiced it, the Egyptians practiced it, the Romans practiced it, 
Are you hearing me? If you read the interpretations of cuneiform writings, it's written in there where a tenth was given of the spoils in war to the deity, the god that they worship, through the temple. You go to British Museum, you'll see the historical records, the same thing. The, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the sacred writing, the same thing. There's record of this activity. So what Abraham was doing had nothing to do with the law of Moses. Because the law of Moses wasn't given. It had nothing to do with the doctrine of grace because that came through Jesus. Even though God was gracious all along. But grace as a doctrine was not present. Grace was not associated with Abraham. Neither was the law associated with Abraham. Yeah, that was pretty jam-packed there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, for the most part, what he's saying is, is I would agree with. Uh, you know, he's sitting there saying that uh, uh, it was a practice uh, where people gave ties of war spoils to their gods. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, so that tells me automatically and that it was a pagan practice. I mean, it was given, given to gods. It didn't say given to the most high God. It said given to gods. And, uh, of course we know there's only one true God. Uh, now, you know, we see what we see here is, is that he said he made a statement saying that they were, it was given to gods. Uh, and then he said that it wasn't uh, during, it wasn't a practice of the law. It wasn't a law and it wasn't because of grace that, uh, that Abraham tithes. Well, Abraham tithes because of what he said. It was a, a pagan practice. Yeah. Uh, and it was something that was actually uh, expected of the people. It wasn't just a practice, but it was something that was expected. And we see that by the fact that Abraham did not go to Salem to give the tithe to Melchizedek. Yeah. He went to, he went to the Valley of Shaveh. There in the Valley of Shaveh, he meets Melchizedek and he meets the king of Sodom, uh, Bera. Uh now what was Bera and Sodom and, and Melchizedek doing in Shaveh? Why didn't they go to their own uh kingdoms? Uh well, because of the Valley of Shave was also named, known as the Valley of the Kings. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the kings would go to assemble for meetings, basically like our presidents will go to uh, Camp David and to other places uh, for their special meetings. Yeah. Uh, and, and so what was happening there is they went, they heard of uh, Abraham's victory in war, and they all went to the Valley of Shaveh, to the Valley of the Kings. Uh, more than likely, they were going there that each so that each individual king thought that he was going to be the one to receive the tithes from Abraham. <laughs> now, uh, A.R. Bernard, uh, Bernard said that uh, Abraham or that Melchizedek was uh, believed to be a Christophany. I don't believe that it was a Christophany because of the wording of Hebrews. The word of the book of Hebrews, chapter seven and verse three, tells us that. Uh, Melchizedek was made like unto the Son of God. Uh, you know, and that's just speculation, really. Uh, my, my belief is, is that, uh, Melchizedek took food to the, uh, Valley of Shaveh with him for the main reason that Abraham had traveled more than 153 miles by the time he got to Shaveh. We, we must remember that he left Mamre 
traveled north to, 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 to the city of Dan, which is right at the top uh, northern northernmost part of the Dead Sea, and that's about 35 miles from Mamre. He fought the uh, w- wicked kings there for uh, a bit, and then chased them northwest or uh, northwest to ha- uh, Hobah. Uh, and there in Hobah is when he killed the kings, and then he traveled back down and had to pass Dan again uh, to get over to the Valley of Shavu, which was on the east side of the. Uh, uh, Dead Sea, yeah. uh, and, you know, so it was it was it was more than 150 miles from from what I've uh, uh, looked at on the maps. Uh, taking a trip from Mamre and going up all the way up to Hobah and then going back down, uh, uh, he traveled over 153 miles. He had fought uh, a hard battle with these kings. Obviously, it was a hard battle because he didn't kill them all in Dan. He had to pursue them again to to get to Hobah and kill them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and so so by this time, Abraham and the others were were war weary, uh, war weary. I'll get it right in a minute. Or war worn, uh, you know, and tired. And so I think that the the bread and wine that was brought by Melchizedek was more than likely for refreshments because of the fact yeah, that they were weary from battle. Yeah, it had nothing to do with communion. But anyway, I wanted but, to I wanted to ask you. A.R. Bernard and his tithing teaching. That came through Jesus. Even though God was gracious all along, but grace as a doctrine was not present. Grace was not associated with Abraham. Neither was the law associated with Abraham. What was associated with Abraham is one word which we live by today and is the foundation for the tithe. It's called faith. Tithing is not an act of grace or law. It's an act of That's why when you read about the tithe in the book of Malachi chapter 3, where it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, saith the Lord, and see if I will not open you the what? Windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. It is an action associated with a promise. And it continues. Not only did he promise to bless you, he said, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. So I'm going to bless you and I'm going to protect the blessing that I bless you with. So it's an offer. That we respond to in what? Come on. They did it in ancient civilizations in the ancient world to honor their God. It is an offering of thanksgiving for their God being with them. They did it to express freedom from fear and covetousness. Because when you give people the option, they tend to opt out. Turn your neighbor and say, he's talking about somebody you know. I don't have to pay? Yes. <laughs> this is why Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruit of your increase. The first fruit is what was offered to the deity, to the God, for their protection as well as provision. 
thanksgiving, an expression of gratitude, and an investment in the kingdom of God. That's why one of the characteristics of successful people is generosity. Successful people are generous. They give. They understand the principle. Give and it institutions offer you incentives. They'll give you a pen, a new calculator if you open an account. Isn't it true? Why? Because they understand human nature is reciprocal. We are reciprocal by nature. So when you do something to us or for us, we want to give something in return or do it back to you. We're reciprocal in nature. So give. <laughs> that was loaded, wasn't it? Yeah, he's got a lot in there that's, uh, that's really nothing but uh, speculation. Yeah. You know, uh, he says that uh, Abraham gave by faith. You know, he says it wasn't by law, it wasn't by grace, it wasn't. It was by faith. Well, nothing in the text whatsoever says that Abraham ties by faith. No. Uh, you know, and the fact that it was a expected uh, thing, and we can actually see in the text that it was expected because, like I said earlier, the kings traveled to Shaveh to the Valley of the Kings after after Abraham won the war. Uh, so obviously it was something that was expected of Abraham. Uh, so it wasn't something that was done by faith. It was something that was Abraham was re required to do. Yeah. You know, and, and then, uh, then A.R. Bernard speaks of it being an option. You know, now first he said it wasn't by law, but then he says it was an option. It was not an option. How is it not a law if it's not an option? You know, it's got to be a law if there's no option that you can either not give or give. Yeah. Uh, Abraham gave because it was required of him. Uh, uh, you know, and it wasn't required of him by God. It was required of the law of the land. Yes. Uh, yes. Secular books, history uh, shows us, and even A.R. Bernard mentioned it, the fact that uh, uh, the British Museum has uh, 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 tablets that are etched in cuneiform that were dated 2200 B.C. Uh, and those uh, tablets show how that the ancient Babylonians and Assyrians uh, gave tithes of war spoils at a central location to their gods and their kings. Uh, so obviously, you know, it was not something that was uh, uh, done by faith. It was something that was done that was expected of them. Yeah, but uh, I you know, that he said it was protection money. <laughs> Right, right. But then he says it's and then he says it's not it's not an option. It's not a law. Well, he contradicted himself. Yeah, but it's like the mafia. He's 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 then referring to God, right? God the Father. Like we better pay him some protection money or else. Right, and then he goes into uh, to Malachi, and of course Malachi he brings it into a, a type of protection thing. You know, God's going to protect you if you. Uh, 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 if you bring the tithes to the storehouse, well, that's not what Malachi was saying. Uh, Malachi was actually speaking to the priest of Israel, and the, and the context shows us he was speaking to the priest. Uh, Malachi 1 1, uh, it, it says it's to Israel. Malachi 1 6 tells us that he was focusing on the priest. He said, You priest, uh, uh, you, you priest have robbed me. Uh, you've kept back the, you've kept the good stuff for yourself. And you've uh, uh, given me the bad stuff, the unacceptable. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And now, O ye 
priests, this commandment is for you. So clearly the the command to tithe was given to the priests of Israel. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've shared it in the past. Uh, the priests of the Levite, the Levite tribe was the only people in the entire world that God said were to bring tithes to the house of God. Uh, Numbers chapter 18, verse 21 through 23 shows us that the tithe of the congregation or the other 11 tribes was to be given to the tribe of Levi because the tribe of Levi had no inheritance among the other tribes. They had no land land to plant crops, correct? Right. Yeah. Uh, They had no inheritance among the other tribes, so the, the tithe was their inheritance. Uh, and that's something that many people do not understand. The tithe of the congregation was the inheritance of the Levite. It was not the property of the house of God. And it wasn't money. It was correct. right. And numbers, numbers chapter eighteen, verse twenty-two says that the congregation was not even to go near the house of God. Uh, so, uh, so uh, they couldn't go to the. They couldn't take the tithes to the storehouse, as Malachi says. If they were not to go to near the house of God because the storehouse, what you had to, the entrance to the storehouse was inside the uh, house of God. Yeah. Uh, and we can see that in number in First Kings chapter six, the first seven verses. Wow, that's, uh, that's, but, that's, you know, that's very very interesting, right there. Right. Now, uh, yeah, the uh, the uh, storehouse was a three tiered structure that was attached to the outer walls of the temple. And the only way to get into the storehouse was you went into the temple and went through one of the side doors, and it allowed you to get into the storehouse. And there were there were ladders or stairs that went up into the uh, higher levels of the storehouse. Uh, you know, and so what we find here is that the uh, uh, the Numbers chapter eighteen says that the congregation could not go near the house of God, and it and it's clearly speaking of tithes uh, uh, with their tithes because it's at, seated right between the verses that speak of tithing. Uh, and then we go over to number uh, Nehemiah chapter ten verse thirty seven. It says that the children of Israel or the eleven tribes were to take their first fruits to the house of God. See now that proves there that they could go to the house of God; they just could not go there with their tithes. Yeah, verse thirty. Verse 38 tells us that they were to give their tithes to the tribe of Levi, and then the tribe of Levi would take the tithe of the tithe to the house of God. Yeah. So so what Malachi is speaking of, because Malachi chapter 3 and verse 7 tells us that God is calling for a return to his ordinances. So what Malachi is speaking of in chapter uh, 3 and verse 10, bring ye all the tithes, he cannot be speaking to the congregation. He can only be speaking to the Levites who were to bring the tithe of the tithe to the house of God. That's the tithe that Malachi was speaking of, was the tithe of the tithes, 10% of 10%. Yeah, and it wasn't, when it, he talks about, he, he, he elaborates on the, he opens up the windows of heaven and pours you out a blessing, but they're talking about rain there, and of course, they, they talk about the fact that when they open up the windows of heaven, then you're you're uh, it's gonna make the ground right, that, ready for planting. Right, and 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 we can clearly see it's rain when we go to uh, Genesis chapter 
uh, 7, uh, the uh, Bible tells us that uh, Abraham, that uh, Noah entered into the ark and that when he entered into the ark, the windows of heaven opened and the rain was upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. You know, and then you go into chapter 8 and it says the windows of heaven closed and the rain stopped. So windows of heaven is in, associate with, in, in association with natural rain that waters the ground. Yes. Uh, and it, so if you go over into Malachi chapter 3, it says, you know, I'll pour you out a blessing that you'll not be able to receive. It's speaking of rain watering the earth so that the crops will grow. And then there will not be enough room to receive all the fruit that actually grows on the cry in the gardens and in the orchards. Yeah, and the devourer was uh, the uh, insects that were going to eat. Right. The uh, the devourer was either a uh, canker or a canker worm or a palmer worm or uh, it was a locust. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. that's that's basically what the three uh, types of creatures that uh, ate the vegetation in the, in Israel at that time. Uh, the, and so, uh, yeah, the devourer was speaking. He was speaking clearly. You can see in it that you can see that uh, he was speaking of a locust uh, not eating the, the crops uh, and destroying them. Yeah, but the yeah. thing is, what they do in these churches, it's like a sleight of hand because they they read, they take a, a, a scripture out of context, and maybe people are reading along. Most people don't bring their Bibles anymore. They just sit there. So... They're not looking at it. They just, they just believe what the person up front on the platform is telling them, which is very, very sad. But let's play this clip from Joseph Prince. Okay. Now back to Hebrews 7. Show them Hebrews 7 verse 4. Now consider how great this man Melchizedek was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a ten of the spoils. Yeah, it's true. The book of Hebrews, as I've taught, and many people have taken this teaching and run with it, that the book of Hebrews shows the first chapter, Jesus is greater than the angels. But they show him how he's greater. He rose from the dead. Amen. And then talk, Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses is a servant. Jesus is a son. It shows, shows clearly that he's a son. He's greater. When it comes to Hebrews 7, Melchizedek priesthood is greater than Levitical priesthood. Yes. But show how is he greater? The tithe. Here's the answer. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a ten of the spoils. Whoever you tithe to, you are declaring that person is great. So when Melchizedek brought the bread and wine, is to proclaim Jesus' death. When you respond with the tithe, is to respond he's alive. Drop down. Here mortal men receive tithes. Now mortal men, people who die, right, receive tithes. But there, Jesus receives them. Of whom it is witness that he lives. Can you see it? Here mortal men receive tithes, right? People who die receive tithes. Amen. People who are mortal. But there, he receives your tithes. Of whom it is witness that he lives. Is a witness. So the bread and wine is to proclaim his death. The tithe is to proclaim he's alive. And, and people will see your life and they will see he's alive. Just like old Jacob, he didn't believe his sons when they say, Joseph is alive, Joseph is alive. When he stepped out, he saw the wagons. Then he says, enough, my son is alive. People will see evidence of God's blessing on your life to the point that they will say, God is alive, or Jesus is alive. Amen? So the Lord's Supper is to proclaim His death. The tithe is to proclaim He's alive in your life. And all the people said, Amen. Give Jesus the praise. Oh, wow. That was twisted. 
He definitely twisted that one, and uh, he's famous for twisting the verses, that's for sure. Uh, you know, he first used uh, uh, chapter 7 and verse 3 of Hebrews uh, to show Melchizedek receiving tithes of war spoils, actually 7-4, rather, uh, receiving tithes of war spoils from Abraham. Uh, and, you know, then he goes into Hebrews. He, he skips the rest of the verses and goes down to verse uh, uh, 8. And and shows um, here men that die receive tithes. Now, see, this is a, a classic argument of those that believe that uh, tithes are to be received. They believe the men that die that receive tithes are your pastors and your evangelists, your prophets, your apostles, uh, bishops, and so on and so forth. In other words, they think it's the church leaders. Yeah. Uh, you know, but that's not what that's not what the text says. And if you look at the context closely, you can clearly see that the men that die is no one but the Levites. Uh, look at uh, Hebrews chapter seven and verse five, and we see uh, that uh, uh, the that Levi. The Bible says here, uh, Levi receives uh, uh, has a command to take tithes of the people according to the law. That is of their brethren. Uh, you know, so it's speaking of the, the Levites that have the office of the priesthood, uh, that take tithes according to the law. Well, what tithes were taken according to the law? Well, we've covered this many times. The tithes record, uh, 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 required by the law were agricultural. Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30 tells us that it was the seed of the land. That's your grain. Uh, and it, it was the fruit of the tree. The fruit of the tree is actually speaking of your wines and oils uh, that were squeezed from the fruits of the tree and the fruits of the vine. Uh, and then verse 32 of Leviticus 27 tells us that it was the tenth animal to pass under the rod. Uh, uh, so what we find here is that the uh, uh, the tithe that was being re that was the sons of Levi had a command to take in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 5, was an agricultural tithe. Now you go down to verse uh, uh, 8, and it says here, men that die receive tithes. Well, who's receiving tithes? It's those that have the command to take tithes, the sons of Levi that have the office of the priesthood. Uh, so clearly he's speaking of the Levite. But if there's any more question, any doubt about it, you go into verse 9 and it says, and as I may say, also, uh, Levi also who receiveth tithes. So it's clearly saying that it's Levi who is the one that's receiving tithes, not uh, pastors, apostles, prophets, and so on and so forth. Well, he thinks he's the high priest. See, a lot of these men, they think they're the high priest. They think that they... Uh, like you said, whoever you give the tithe to, you're showing that that person is great. So they put right. themselves up above the people. And that's not the New Testament church because we don't have a hierarchy and we're all priests. We were exactly. We're priests to the holy nation. So exactly. what's he talking uh, about? Well, and basically he's wanting to say that you're supposed to honor your pastor. Yeah, well, that's, that's what he's saying. Yeah, that's that's the message that I got out of that. Is he saying, you know, you you're supposed to look at your pastors, your apostles, bishops, and so on and so forth as being great men of God, you know, and they can do no wrong in your sight, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, and whatever you know, I so, tell so, you, you better believe, and you better right. You're supposed to too. <laughs> you're supposed to honor them, so you better open your wallet. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Anyway, let's play one more clip from. 
And then there's this teaching. Someone says, you know, if I, why must I tithe? If I take the money, by the way, notice that Jesus says unrighteous mammon just now. So the word, if not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon. Do you know that the default mode of money to God is unrighteous? It's filthy. I used to say things like many years ago, if a good man picks money, it becomes good money. A bad man picks money, it becomes bad money. But God says, no, money is unrighteous. Money is unclean. Because as a whole, the way money has been used around the world is unrighteous. People are being deprived. People are being bullied. People are being you know, manipulated. And a lot of unrighteous money. But God says the way you, you make the money un, uh, holy, uh, Romans 11, if the first fruit is holy, the lamb is also holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. You got it? If I take the first fruit, the rest become holy. And what is holy, the devil cannot touch. Are you listening, people? No. Now, Luke 11. <laughs> Rather give alms of such things as you have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. Jesus said this. It's amazing that people say, oh, uh, they take my revelation of Jesus touching the leper, and the clean make the unclean clean. Right? You know what they say? Why should I tie? You know, if I take the money... I am clean. The money is unclean. It's not clean. That's warp. It's like, let us sin more that grace may abound. I understand where the kind of reasoning comes from. Now, with your kind of warp reasoning, I can also say, I go to Geelang. I'm clean. I touch a prostitute. She's unclean. Now, she's clean. I'm a drug addict, but I'm a Christian. Amen? I'm clean. I take the drug. Now, I touch the drug. It's clean. <laughs> I can... Don't get warp. Don't get warp. All this happened because a lack of church life. There's no one speaking into the peop these people's lives. <laughs> no, they don't have a Bible. He's doing some spinning there. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, I made a meme years ago that said God's holy tithe any way you spin it. If it's not agricultural, it's a lie. Yeah. And, you know, basically that's what he's doing. He's doing some spinning. He's turning the time, time to turn the tithes into money, you know, and he's, he's using the argument that if, if it's a Christian using money, then the money's not, uh, uh, not, uh, unrighteous mammon. Yeah. And that, that don't even make any sense. You know, I, I mean, I, I can use the same type of argument with him and say, okay, well, the Bible says, Jesus himself spoke and said that uh, uh, you know, when he was asked by the Herodian disciples uh, if they should pay tribute to Caesar or not, Jesus said, show me a penny. And they brought him a penny, and he said, whose image and superscription is on it? They said, Caesar's. He said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and unto God that which is God's. Okay, well, the penny, was, uh, the penny had Caesar's image on it. Okay, so that, that means by Jesus' statement saying, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, Jesus was saying the penny belongs to Caesar. Give it to Caesar. Give him any amount he wants. Uh, you know, and so, so uh, you know, using his argument, I can easily tell him, you know, well, uh, this money belongs to um, the U.S. government. This dollar bill I have in my pocket has the U.S. government's image on it of Washington. Uh, and and the U.S. government's uh, inscription on it, the United States Treasury, and I can say this belongs to the United States Treasury. It doesn't belong to God. 
No. You know, uh, and and that's what Jesus was saying. Now, when Jesus said, render unto God, now some people might say that, that I'm speaking heresy or blasphemy, but the fact is, I said, I'm not. Jesus told them the coin. They didn't ask if they should pay tithes. No, they asked they if they should pay seeds. They asked if they should. He, 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 he didn't ask for it either. Right. You know, uh, and so Jesus said, Jesus said to give it to Caesar. Yeah. It, belong, it belongs to them. You give it to them. Render unto God that which is God's. Now, what's God's? Okay, the the, the penny was made in Caesar's image. What's made in God's image? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28 tells us that man was made in God's image. That's right. So render unto God that which was made in God's image, that which belongs to God. Render yourself to God. Yes. And the Apostle Paul echoed the same thought in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, you know, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Yeah, it's amazing that uh, these people have so much popularity. He spent, I think, $500 million building his church building, and they have more money than they know what to do with, and they're so biblically illiterate. It's pitiful. Right, Exactly. They don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth. I was I was discussing that with somebody else on Facebook this morning. Uh, uh, another minister who was trying to argue with me that Matthew twenty three twenty three Jesus said we ought to tithe, and of course that verse don't say we ought to tithe. Jesus was speaking under the law to a people under the law. And he was talking uh, about produce, ruin, mint. Right. He didn't mention and he money. He, Exactly. And that's the problem. See, people want to take and add money to every single one of the tithe verses to fit their theology. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can't do that. No, we have Once to you, walk by faith, and that's it. We walk by faith. Everybody exactly. has to do that, whether they're a pastor or an evangelist or someone sitting in the pew. We all have to walk Ex by faith. Exactly. Once you add to the Word of God, it is no longer the Word of God. Yes, that's it's, true. It's your Word. It's right. And so, <laughs> yeah, and so we have we have to be careful with that. You know, yeah, we walk by faith and not by sight. And people don't realize that tithing was not an act of faith. No. Yes, God no. said God did say, you know, uh, if uh, to try me, uh, try me in there, or prove me in this, and uh, see if I will not open the windows of heaven. But He wasn't speaking of faith there. He was saying, I'm going to do it. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and it's something that was required. Bring it into the house. He didn't say, uh, I'm going to give you a choice so you can either bring it or not. He said to bring it. Yeah. And he was speaking of, he was speaking to the priests of Israel, as I said earlier. Yeah, well, that's you, know, you have to read the whole chapter. But they, they never read the whole chapter. They just pick out right. verses that are going to benefit them. Exactly. And you know what's kind of funny about this whole thing today now is, is these ministers are putting up uh, posts on Facebook and Twitter and other social media platforms saying, send your money in to, uh, and they'll give a cash app number or give a fine number or something like that. Well, when, by, say, by saying send your money in, they're denying the text of, that they always said was for us. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, bring the money in. They used to preach years ago, the Bible says to bring the tithes. It doesn't say to, to stay home and send them in. It says to bring it. But now they're saying you can send them. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway that it works. But Well, That's Jim, it. <laughs> Ron, I want to thank you. These programs have been very enlightening, and I hope they help the people. And they can get your books on Amazon. 
Amazon.com. Just look for Ronald Roby, R-O-B-E-Y. Yeah, and you can check Ron out on Facebook. He has a public Facebook page, and he will dialogue with you. And he's busy all day long ministering to people. Well, we appreciate you, Ron, and thank you so very much for coming on today. We appreciate you, too, and thank you for having us. Uh, Looking forward to the next time. Yes, there'll be more. Okay, God bless you. God bless. Bye. All right, everybody, that's our program for today. And we hope that you were blessed and ministered to. But don't forget the most important thing, because some of you that might be listening, you're saying, wow, we have all those problems in churches. Yeah, whenever there's people, there's going to be problems. (laughs) But there's one person that was perfect that walked the earth, and his name is Jesus. And he said that ye must be born again in the third chapter of John. First you're born of your mother, then you must be born again of the Spirit of God. The book of Romans says that confession is made with the mouth unto salvation. God has made a way of escape where you can be forgiven of all your sins and God will forget your sins when you repent and he will give you a brand new life It's not just a saying that Billy Graham made up about being born again. Jesus said it. You must be born again. First you're born of your mother, then you must be born again of the Spirit of God. Ask Jesus Christ to come into your life today to give you a brand new life, to give you peace and joy that you can't buy. God bless you. Blessed be.